1 Peter chapter 4. I mean the first six verses of that chapter. Uh, last week we took a little break from 1 Peter, talked about how to have gospel conversations. Hopefully that was beneficial for you. But the week before that, we talked about how Jesus has victory over unjust suffering. We have a suffering Savior, but that, sa- that suffering was not the end of the story for Jesus. And in the same way uh, Jesus suffered, he also was victorious, and that is an encouragement to us. And uh, that passage also gave us some reasons for suffering. Jesus suffered for a purpose. That purpose was to bring us back into relationship with him and to advance the mission of God where he is set on restoring all of creation. And that's a great model for us in terms of suffering. Hopefully you are in, were encouraged by that passage because it told you that one of the pathways to being glorified, one of the pathways of being made new is through suffering. We have a great model, a great example of that in Jesus. The suffering of Jesus, the pain of Jesus, did not stop Jesus from experiencing glory. And that's an encouragement to us as Christians. The suffering that we go through does not deny us the glory that we're promised in Jesus. So, um, that was the victory of Jesus. But what's so important about this is that the victory of Jesus... His story is not something that we simply think about, something that we simply know about, or simply tell other people about. The story of Jesus is our story as Jesus' followers. So we do not merely know the story, but we also live the story. The reason why we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus is because that is an example, a model for our own lives. We die to ourselves and then we're raised to new life in Christ. This is what baptism is. Baptism is a symbol of us dying to ourself, our sinful desires, our selfish desires, and being raised to newness of life just like Jesus was. So the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is also our story. So we're called to live out Christ's victory. Not simply just know about it. Not simply just have all the facts gathered and tell other people about it. We're supposed to live out that story. How do we do that? How do we live out the story of Jesus? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight and in this passage. Um, So here's the text for tonight. Since, therefore, Christ also suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, They, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, they scorn you, they make fun of you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was preached even to those who are dead, that through, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Let's pray 
and ask God to bless these next few minutes. Father, we are here for you. We are not here to simply sing songs. We're not here to um, hear me talk. We're not here to just see other people, Lord. We are here that you can speak to our hearts, change our hearts, change our minds, our mindsets. And Lord, um, we are here to be encouraged and equipped to live like Jesus throughout all of our lives. So God, we ask you to do that work in the hearts of each student, each person in here, by the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let the words that I speak be your words and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So how are we to live out the story of Jesus? That's actually a complex question. It's a little complicated. I mean, how are you supposed to live as someone who lived thousands of years ago in a totally different context? And, you know, the what would Jesus do bracelets? Did anyone have a WWJD bracelet? Really? Okay, that's, those like lasted that long? I thought those like died like a long time ago before y'all were born. Um, I did have one, but I don't know what happened to it. Those things disappear. Yeah, they weren't very durable. But it's actually a very difficult question. Like what would Jesus do in, given our context? So we're going to try to unpack a little bit of what um, Peter says here. Um, specific to how Jesus suffered and how he was victorious over his suffering. How can we live like Jesus in the way that we suffer? And um, how can we live out his story when we're going through suffering? The first thing, first thing, suffering is linked to killing sin. Peter says that since Jesus suffered, we therefore should arm ourselves with the same attitude. We need to prepare ourselves for a mentality to battle. What is the battle? What, what is the war? Why do we have to have a warlike mindset? It's because we have an enemy, and it's ourselves, and it's sin. There is a battle to be fought, and it's the battle over our own heart between our fleshly desires and what is good, what is God's will. So a Christian who has suffered in his body is someone who is done with sin, is freed from sin. What does it mean to be freed from sin? It does not mean that you are going to be perfect. It means that you have been freed to battle sin. That's a very important distinction. You have been freed from slave, slaveship to sin, from being uh, totally under its control, and you are now free to battle it. So no longer do you just always follow the temptations. No longer do you always cave to the cravings that you have. No longer do you always obey the longings of lust, greed, pride, hate, violence, lying. Instead, you can now battle those things. Before Jesus, Paul talks a lot about this in Romans uh, 6, 7, and 8. Before um, you were a follower of Jesus, before you were born again, you were sin's puppet. You always did what sin wanted you to do. You were a slave to sin. Now you serve a new, serve a new master. I turned it off. You serve a new Lord. You have a new king. And it's no longer sin. It's no longer yourself. It's Jesus. So he's on the throne of your heart. And what does it feel like to, to serve a new master? It's following him, imitating him, doing his will. But here's the thing. You're not yet perfect. There's still a battle to be fought, and that's what 
Peter's describing here. He's describing the fact that you have a battle that's raging inside of you. And you are now being transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. And that comes through a process. And the process is one of struggle, of suffering. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. And that is what Peter's driving home here. He says, you need to embrace, listen to me, you need to embrace a mindset of suffering because you will not kill your sin if you are unwilling to suffer. If you are just running from all the suffering in life, you will never kill the sin inside of you. In order to battle your sinful desires and kill your sin that's inside of you, you have to be willing to embrace suffering. So there's some suffering and pain that is good, right? Um, If anyone in here plays a sport, uh, you have conditioning practice or weightlifting, right? Conditioning and weightlifting is designed for you to suffer. If you stopped running every time you felt pain or suffering, you would never grow in endurance. If you only lifted weight that was really easy, and as soon as it started to hurt, your muscles would never grow, right? So the suffering is actually a sign that you're growing and that you're building yourself up. You're getting strengthened. You're growing. So uh, the pain is a sign that the process is working. The suffering is a sign that your strength is growing. So there is some suffering, some pain that you, you need to embrace in life. In the matter of killing your sin, battling your fleshly desires, and training your heart to love Jesus more, there will be suffering. You will suffer because you're fighting a war against yourself. So spiritual formation, being formed to be more and more like Jesus, where his story is your story, it's a matter of training. It's a matter of practices that God has given you, and training is not easy. It, it presupposes that you're going to suffer, that you're going to embrace the pain, but it's, that's where you grow. Growth comes in the pain, in the suffering. So like in the passage we read in John 15, it says, I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. So Jesus is comparing us to branches. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, gets thrown into the fire, this imagery of, of being destroyed or, or whatnot. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes. See, for us, we think every fruit, every branch that bears fruit, he blesses, he shows favor to, he exalts, gives a bunch of good pats on the back. No, it says if you are a branch in Jesus, if you are someone who is connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and you're bearing fruit, something God is going to do to you is prune you. That means he's going to cut you. He's going to remove some things in your life. It's going to hurt. But he does this so that you bear more fruit. I spent about an hour this afternoon looking at pictures of how to prune vines. I don't know. I was trying, I just couldn't figure it out. But this is what a grapevine looks like. And you would cut these little, does this thing work? Not on the screen. You would see that where it says spur. Everyone see where it says spur on the arm there? So that would grow a branch and it would produce grapes. So if that produced good grapes that year, what they would do is cut that branch off, and then two branches would come from the root of it. So literally, they would stop that branch from growing, producing more fruit, so that it could multiply fruit. 
and have more and produce more. That's how God grows you. He's going to cut some things out of your life. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You might be confused. You don't understand what's going on. But, but that's how Jesus says we will grow to be more like him. So although pruning hurts, although it may be confusing, this is for our good. It's for our growth. So the suffering is necessary for there to be further growth. You will suffer if you want to grow to be more like Jesus. God will cut some things out of your life so that you can produce more fruit. So are you willing to embrace that process? That's number one. Are you willing to even embrace suffering? Or are you just going to live a comfortable, easy life? Because I tell you, you won't grow. If you're just after being comfortable and easy and clearing your conscience of guilt, you're not going to grow until you really embrace the difficult things in life. Uh, Number two, killing sin means living for the will of God and not evil human desires. So when I talk about killing sin or becoming more like Jesus, what that means is that we live for God's will, not our own. We live for God's will, not following after every evil human desire that we have. So we can think of this process both positively, like becoming more like Jesus, and negatively. Positively, we're called to live for the will of God. This means he's our king, he's our Lord, he's our master, he's the one who's calling the shots in your life. He is the creator and you are a creature in his universe. This means we don't have the right to define what is good and evil in our life. God has already defined those things. He's determined that for us in his creation. This is what the fall is depicted as in Genesis 3, if you're familiar with the biblical story. Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and what they're saying is, we will define what's good and evil. We will have the knowledge to define what is good and evil apart from our relationship with God. This is the universal human problem, is we seek to define good and evil on our own terms. And that leads to chaos and brokenness. We can't do it because we're not God. So to have a fear of God, respecting his right to define what's good and evil in my life, means I'm following after his will. That's what it means to kill sin in your life. Negatively, we're called not to follow our evil human desires. Listen, just because you feel it doesn't make it true or right. That's really, really important for you guys to know. There are some feelings that you have that are not true. There are some feelings that you have that are not good. This is pretty basic. But listen, we have to clarify this because everything in the world is telling us that the ultimate epitome of satisfaction is in full self-expression. Meaning, if you just be who you are, you'll be truly happy. Listen, I don't want to be me. I don't want to be anything like me. I want to be more and more like Jesus, and that means I die to myself. So this whole age of being authentic and true to who you are, it's, it's selling you short. It's not who you're meant to be. You're meant to be as God designed you to be, and we become like that as we're more like Jesus, not more like ourselves. That's the last thing we need is to just follow every human desire we have. That won't lead to true satisfaction. So true satisfaction is not found in unrestrained self-expression, but true satisfaction is found 
and being, and being in line with who God has called you to be, designed you to be as a human being. So because of sin and our sinful nature, our natural feel, feelings are not always good. So that means in, in some sense, right now, you're not who you're meant to be. Right now, in some sense, you are not who you are meant to be because you have been corrupted by sin. No matter how much greatest showman tells you that you are who you are meant to be, you're not. Jesus is who you are meant to be. He is the true human, the second Adam who has come and died in our place so he, we could live as he lived. He is our true humanity. He is the true one that is fulfilled who we're supposed to be as human beings. So as we become more like Jesus, that is who we're meant to be. Also notice that at the end of that passage is a very important phrase. Um, it's to live in this way. To kill sin is to live by the Spirit. The last thing I want you to hear today is that you just need to try harder. I'm not calling you to just try harder. I'm calling you to train to, to put some habits in your life that reflect um, some practices of Jesus. So as you engage in the lifestyle of Jesus, you will put on the life of Jesus. But this is a completely spiritual exercise. It is by the Spirit of God, and that's a whole other tangent. I would tell you to read Romans 8 to really look at that. But it's as you depend more on Jesus and the Spirit of God within you that you will grow to be more like Jesus. It's only through your dependence it's only through your surrender to the Spirit of God that you can become more like Jesus. Number three, killing sin will cause alienation and abuse from the world. Living out the story of Jesus as your story means that others may treat you the same way they treated Jesus. And they did not treat Jesus super nicely. It may lead to what we could call alienation or abuse. We've talked a lot about this in the series already. That's kind of the whole theme of 1 Peter is living as a stranger in the world, as an exile in the world. Um, so I'm not going to linger on it too much here, but remember, remember your commitment to live for Jesus and live like Jesus. If you're going to make that commitment, that means the world will not necessarily be nice or kind to you. Again, this may sign you up for some suffering. They may alienate you. They may take advantage of you. And they may abuse you. This is how the world treats Jesus followers because this is how they treat Jesus. So just prepare yourself for that. Don't have a fearful mindset, but expect it, anticipate it. Um, but there's good news in this number four. God will judge both the living and the dead. Peter says, uh, the world may mistreat you, but they don't have the last word in your life. In the same way we've, we've said that suffering does not have the last word in our life as Christians, your present circumstances won't have the last word in your life either. Just because it seems that unbelievers have more fun than you do, or they enjoy themselves more, or they have um, more advancement in their job, or they have more praise of their peers, or they have more friends in their circles, this does not mean that they are living in true reality. They will be judged by God on the last day, as all of us will will be judged not by the circumstances we went through, as it seemed to us, but by reality. 
by really what happened. So as present circumstances don't have the last word in your life, in the same way, death does not have the last word in a Christian's life. And this is what Peter says. Even if it's to the point where you get killed for being a Christian, that is not a sign that God doesn't have favor with you. This is what that odd verse at the end of the passage is talking about, how, um, why, like, uh, this is why the gospel must be preached to the dead and to the living. It's talking about while death may seem to be a punishment from the, for the righteous, from the unbeliever's perspective, right? They may see Christians die and, and say, okay, that's a punishment or it's a confirmation that they're, they're not true or not real. Believers, we know we have hope beyond death where we will be made alive, so Peter's argument is important here, okay? He says Christians should not surrender to the ways of the world, renouncing Jesus, so that they can be liked or favored by the world. You should not stop following Jesus just so you can have favor among your friends, favor in whoever else's eyes other than God. Such worldly appro- approval in your life, it's short-lived. It's a blip on the radar of eternity. For God will be the ultimate judge, not the world. And believers will be made alive, even if they face the suffering of death, just like Jesus was. So also, it's important to note here that Peter is not calling Christians to hang this over unbelievers' heads. Peter is speaking to believers to encourage them to hold fast, to persevere. He's not shouting this down to unbelievers. Peter is still encouraging believers right? So he's, he's not trying to throw stones at anybody. He's encouraging believers, and this does not in any way fly in the face of what Peter says about engaging those people who don't know Jesus so that you can point them to a living hope and still in, engage them in them that way. So um, we're going to conclude because we want to give some time for, for prayer, but these are the questions we have to ask. By whose will are you living your life? By whose will are you living your life? C.S. Lewis has been quoted as saying this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. There are those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. If you pursue your own will, submitting yourself to the slavery of sin and evil human desires, you are on a path of destruction and chaos and brokenness, alienating yourself from the God who loves you and who bears your true image as a human being in Jesus. However, if you pursue God's will, which has been completely satisfied in the person of Jesus, if you pursue Jesus, you'll find who you are meant to be. You'll become truly human as you are made into the image of Jesus. And while this process requires suffering, while it requires suffering and growing pains, God will bring you to glory on Judgment Day. And if you've got a question about Judgment Day, come to D now. That's what we're going to be talking about. Judgment Day, hell, heaven, really unpacking all of that fun stuff. Um, but... If that is the vision of the good life that you desire, if you desire glory, renewal, freedom, 
just know that it's a path that's paved with suffering. Not because it's bad, but because there is sin in us. There is sin in me that needs to be worked out of me as I'm made more to be more like Jesus. There are things in me that need to be gutted from my soul in order for me to be more like Jesus. So you see, some of us in life, we want the destination without the journey. We want to just be made like Jesus, but we're not willing to embrace the suffering of the journey that brings us there. We want the life of Jesus. We want the whole, you know, thing at the end, new life, resurrection body, but we don't want the lifestyle of Jesus. We're separating the destination from the journey, and we can't do that. The journey means that there will be suffering, but the destination is one of glory. But don't lose sight of the journey when you look for the destination. Because God does not instantly make you like Jesus. How beautiful that would be, how awesome, how easy that would be. But God, I've learned this. God is more glorified in my dependence than my perfection. God is more glorified in him working in me and through me, despite of me, than he is in me making it seem like I have it all together. So do we trust that? Do we trust that this process of killing sin and putting things to death in my life is God empowering us in the right direction? Do we trust that that's what God's doing? He's actually taking us on a journey that's, that's good and necessary and glorious. So we have to ask ourselves, are we moving in that direction? As we're putting uh, our life together, as we're building our life, are we building around the gospel and around Jesus? Another way to ask it is this, is sin killing you or are you killing sin? One of those things is happening in your life right now. Are you just suffocating under the weight of sin and its rule that it has over you? Or are you actively killing the sin in your life? Because you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been freed to fight sin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Because we as human beings, we are made to serve we're made to serve something. We're either going to serve sin or we're going to serve God. What does our life look like? So what I want us to do um, uh, for our prayer focus tonight, uh, I want to turn to uh, James chapter 5. This is what James says. Is anyone suffering among you? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. First thing to note here is James is under the full assumption that prayer works, and prayer is a source of God's work in the world. And because of that, he says, if you are suffering, and it's tied to our passage tonight. If you are suffering with a struggle with sin, pray. Pray. But this is not simply an isolated, individual exercise. It's a communal exercise. The last verse says, Therefore, therefore, because prayer works, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person 
has great power as it is working. So listen, we are all suffering in this room, one way or, or, or another. We're either suffering over sin's power over our life, or we're suffering as we're trying to kill the sin in our life. And what James says is, as you confess those sins, those areas of struggle, you can be honest about that. As you confess those to one another, you will be um, prayed for, and then he says you will be healed. It's part of the path of healing is for you guys to confess to one another and pray with, with one another. Now, I, I know we, we were talking about this in pre-band meeting. This could be awkward. It could be difficult. I'm not telling you to give a detailed, like, paint a picture of all the sins you're struggling with. But confess your struggle to one another and then pray for one another. That's what we're going to do for the last uh, 10 minutes here, and then we're going to sing a song. So um, go ahead, turn towards one another, break the ice.